This is Because I Said So, parenting advice with love and leadership from the nation's leading parenting expert, John Roseman, syndicated columnist, author, conference speaker, and the only psychologist to point out that psychology has caused more problems than it has solved. From American Family Radio, here's your host, John Roseman. Hello out there in American Family Radio land and welcome to the show. I'm your host, John Roseman. The show is called Because I Said So. It's all about parenting, as we call it in America these days. And it is carried exclusively on American Family Radio. My thanks to them. Every Saturday at 6 o'clock Eastern Time, 5 o'clock Central, and so on and so forth. Glad you could join us. Hope you are able to stay with us through the entire show. If not, the show is posted on my website as uh, a, what do you call it, whatever, uh, something that my daughter knows the name of, but I do not. And, oh, podcast, that's what she calls it. Now, now you know how tech-savvy I am. It is called a podcast, and uh, it will uh, be up on my website at johnrosemond.com, J-O-H-N-R-O-S-E-M-O-N-D.com, just uh, a few days from now. So you can also go to johnrosemond.com and find out about more about me and my ministry to parents and families. On a or during a program uh, from a couple of weeks back, maybe a week back, I lose t- track of time very easily these days. I w- was talking about a fellow named Marvin who teaches in a public school in Texas somewhere who called while I was being interviewed on the Dennis Prager program, a nationally syndicated radio talk show, to complain that he disagreed with everything I said about the proper discipline of children. And he said, quote, you should collaborate with children, not coerce them. Now, mind you, I had never used the word coerce. And Marvin's complaint struck both myself and Dennis Prager as odd because I had not used the word coerce, nor had I said anything that would imply coercion. What I was talking about was the fact that authority is uh, properly presented to a child as a confidence in the parents, the legitimacy of the authority of the parent in question. Authority is not a matter of proper consequences. Authority is not a matter of behavior modification. Authority is a matter of presenting yourself properly to a child. People who present themselves properly to children in a manner that conveys to the child a complete confidence in the legitimacy of their authority where the child is concerned, have no problem with children. Children obey them because a child's 
natural response to the proper presentation of authority is obedience. But uh, what Marvin was doing was simply uh, echoing the party line in public education these days, the disciplinary method du jour in America's public school classrooms is called collaborative discipline. And as Marvin put it, he gave an example of collaborative discipline. He said, instead of saying no to a child when a child makes a request of you, you should say not yet. Well, what if the answer is no? This stuff makes no sense, folks. But then liberalism is nonsensical. America's public schools have been overtaken, overrun by liberals. And I'm sorry, uh, almost everything that's going on in America's public schools these days is nonsensical. Case in point, you can spell a word any way that you want to. It's called imaginative spelling. The child's misspelled word is an example of the child's creative thinking, supposedly. Now, this is all, in my estimation, part and parcel of the dumbing down of America. And the dumber America's public schools can make us collectively, the more susceptible we will be to liberal government schemes. Anyway, I was thinking about Marvin and I was thinking about high school, my high school career at Proviso West High School in Hillside, Illinois. And I was thinking about the fact that the most valuable course I took at Proviso West was typing. I took two semesters of typing during my sophomore year in high school. By the end of the second semester, I was typing between 60 and 70 words per minute on a royal manual typewriter. You had to virtually stand on the keys to get them to go down. My typing teacher, I don't remember her name, she walked around the room while we we were typing, and she had a yardstick in her hand that she used to whack us with when our posture was the slightest bit off and used to uh, whack us on the uh, backs of our forearms when our hand positions were not proper. Over the course of the year, I received a good number of these whackings. In fact, she was mean. None of us liked her. She didn't care. She was there to teach, not be popular. She definitely wouldn't have lasted a day in Marvin's public school. Creative writing. I took uh, creative writing during my sophomore year. Also, comes in a close second. One day while the class was busy writing something, Mrs. Grimsley, that was her name, called me to her desk. And in a voice purposefully loud enough that the whole class stopped writing and watched me squirm, she told me that my latest theme was, quote, trash, end quote. She handed it back to me, almost threw it back at, at me over her desk, told me to do it over and made it clear that the best grade I could hope for was a C. To say that I was humiliated is an understatement. A room full of stifled giggles accompanied the 
long perp walk back to my desk. And by the way, I had most definitely turned in hastily written trash, hoping she would let me, her best student, slide. Uh, No such luck. Neither of these teachers would be allowed to teach today, not unless they repented of their evil ways, which I suspect neither would do. Mind you, I thank both of these teachers often to this very day. During my 12 years of school, I did not attend kindergarten, so I only attended 1 through 12. No teachers made a more positive contribution to my life than these two meanies. Both of them obviously cared about me. Along these lines, a recent study found that teachers like my typing and creative writing teachers, teachers who are demanding, critical when criticism is due, and in every way, the antithesis of touchy-feely, collaborative, palsy-walsy teachers like Marvin wants to be, do the very best job of bringing out the best in their students. The touchy-feelies, the palsy-walsies, are more well-liked, mind you, that's a given, but their students don't give them their best. They slack off because they intuitively know that touchy-feely, palsy-walsy teachers are touchy-feely, palsy-walsy when they hand out grades. Billy does C work, but Billy gets a B from Mrs. I'm okay, you're okay, because Billy needs encouragement. All the kids really like Mrs. I'm okay, you're okay. Their parents do too, but Mrs. I'm okay, you're okay will never produce a student who can type 70 words a minute on a manual typewriter or become the author of 20 best-selling parenting books. Along these same lines, it was recently announced that the Duke Endowment, big name in the Southeast in America, is giving Davidson College, Duke University, Johnson C. Smith, and Furman Universities $3.4 million dollars to study why so many of today's college students report high levels of stress and anxiety and find ways of enhancing their resiliency, which the project defines as the ability to thrive despite adversity and difficult circumstances. Well, I will tell these institutions for free why today's college students find it so difficult to cope with the everyday slings and arrows of normal living, it's because they have never had to deal with high expectations, demands, and high standards that don't waver because they need encouragement. It's because they've never encountered the likes of my typing and creative writing teachers. It's because if they ever had, their parents would have screamed bloody murder The school's administration would have caved in, and the meanies would have been replaced by the likes of Mrs. I'm okay, you're okay. It takes $3.4 million for 
for the Duke Endowment to figure this out. The trustees of the Duke Endowment ought to be ashamed of themselves for wasting all this money. They obviously need a good whacking with a yardstick. So anyway, it's time for our break. Be back in a moment. Please stay with us. Welcome to the show, folks. Uh, in the first half of the show, I talked about uh, touchy-feely, palsy-walsy teachers and the fact that a, a recent study has uh, proven what common sense will affirm, and that is that teachers who are not touchy-feely or palsy-walsy, teachers who uh, have and enforce High expectations are demanding and critical of their students when criticism is justified, uh, get the best results. In other words, their students achieve higher than students who are matched demographically, who are being taught by palsy-walsy, touchy-feely public school teachers. And this is why, folks, I, I... I'd say to people all the time, I would do anything. If I, if I had young children today, I would do anything. I would work three jobs. I would do anything to keep my children out of the clutches of America's government schools. Back in the uh, 1980s, during the peak of his career, Waylon Jennings wrote a song and put out a song called It's the World's Gone Crazy Cotillion. And I think about this song sometimes when I think about the state of parenting and public education in America. The words, just to give you some of the flavor, it's very, uh, it's very relevant to what's going on in America these days and what's been going on in America for quite some time. Uh, The words are, it's the world's gone crazy cotillion. The ladies are dancing alone because the side men all want to be front men and the front men all want to go home. Well, that prophetic, wasn't it? The Johnny come latelys are coming in early. The early birds showing up late. The straight men all want to be funny. The funny men all want to get straight. The villains have turned into heroes. The heroes have turned into heels. The dealers all want to be lovers, and the lovers all want to make deals. They ain't inherited nothing. Their leaders are falling behind. So I'm singing my songs to the deaf men, and I'm dancing my dance to the blind. It's the world's gone crazy cotillion. The ladies are dancing alone because the side men all want to be front men and the front men all want to go home. I, I loved Waylon Jennings. God bless him and God rest his soul. So anyway, as an example of it's the parenting world that's gone crazy cotillion, A young mother 
who identified herself as a practitioner of attachment parenting, recently told me that children should be approached with reverence. That was the word she used. And if the rest of my conversation with her was any indication, I don't think she used those words loosely. Children, this is a quote. It's an actual quote. Uh, I was in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, uh, Brentwood, actually, suburb of Nashville, and speaking at a church, and a woman comes up to me and tells me she is an attachment parent and uh, doesn't agree with uh, anything I say and believes that uh, I debase and devalue children and tells me that, quote, children should be approached with reverence, end quote. Children should be approached with reverence. We should revere them. So before we go any further, full disclosure, I don't believe that any human being of any age, no matter his or her station in life, is worthy of being approached with reverence. Not a king, not the pope, not my pastor, no one is worthy of being approached with reverence. Respect? Yes. Admiration? Yes. Reverence? Absolutely not. And that applies doubly to children. So anyway, I told this woman I disagreed. And uh, I said, uh, adults should not make idols of children. That helps no one, especially the children in question. And I proposed instead that adults should approach children with compassion, love, and respect. She didn't think there was a difference. She said, well, there's no difference. We're talking about the same thing. No, we're not. The difference is night and day. But remember, we live in the parenting world, has gone crazy cotillion times. By the way, prior to speaking at this church, I was told that the Attachment Parenting Association of Tennessee was up in arms because the church had invited me to speak in uh, the this in attach what apparently has become some attachment parenting cult enclave uh, centered around Brentwood, Tennessee. And by the way, I do believe attachment parenting is a cult. I've talked to many, many women who have extricated themselves from this very, very destructive to both parent and child uh, parenting ideology, and they consistently tell me that it is a cult. They are able to realize this only after they extricate themselves. So when I use the word cult, in association with attachment parenting, I am using it quite accurately. Thank you. But let's go back to the fact that uh, I proposed to this woman who had told me that children should be approached with reverence, that no, children should be approached with compassion, love, and respect. And she told me, well, there's no difference. And I said to her, no, the difference is night and day. Children need compassion for the fact that they are sinful. They are inclined by nature to choose 
antisocial behavior over prosocial behavior. They are inclined by nature to be self-loving rather than loving of God and neighbor. That is why they need corrective discipline from compassionate, loving, respectful adults. And I'll say that again. Children are inclined by nature to be self-loving rather than loving of God and loving of neighbor. That is why they need corrective discipline from adults who have an understanding of the nature of children and compassion for children because of their inherent nature. Until such discipline is delivered and begins to stick, it can accurately be said that children truly can't help it when they misbehave. They were born that way. Going on to the second of my qualities, children require genuine affirming love because they are incapable of putting themselves in proper perspective. Therefore, they are incapable, this is not a contradiction, of loving themselves in a healthy fashion. A child's self-love is very likely to fuel tyranny if the chances offered to the child, and it is these days by all too many parents, Only compassionate, loving adults are capable of responding properly to this inclination, which defines, by the way, the so-called terrible twos. Children need adults in their lives who have tremendous respect for their needs and equal amounts of compassion for the fact that they don't know what their needs are. Furthermore, children rarely want what they truly need, It is the responsibility of adults who respect a child's potential for creative adulthood to give children all of what they need and very little of what they simply want. What are their needs? Here's a short but far from comprehensive list. Children need to be contributing members of their families. Therefore, they need to be assigned daily household chores for which they are not paid. Why not paid? After all, adults get paid for working. Yes, but we do not get paid for cooking meals, cleaning bathrooms, and vacuuming floors, and neither should children. This is the stuff of membership in a family. In addition, chores help instill a service ethic without which democracy cannot survive. Have you ever stopped to consider why charities do not thrive in socialist countries? Children need adults who allow their brains to grow and develop naturally without much interference from electronic media. Children need to be told to eat what's on their plates, not because it's good for them, although it may be, but because it is rude to refuse to eat something someone, even one of your parents, has spent time and energy preparing for you. This very civilized lesson begins at home at the family table. You are not a special case at the dinner table, little Johnny. Therefore, you do not get a special meal. Children need adults in their lives who value and promote proper character traits over academic and athletic skills. One of the most important of all character traits is do your best at all times. It does not matter if you are not as good as someone else in some area. What's important is is that you do what you are capable of doing 
and no less. In other words, if proper character is the priority, everything else will fall into its proper place. And lastly, children need adults who confront them when they misbehave, adults who calmly communicate that they will not tolerate antisocial behavior even from a two-year-old. As your great-grandmother no doubt advised, it is to the advantage of all concerned that misbehavior be nipped in the bud. A person who approaches a child with reverence is giving the child an excellent reason to want to remain a child forever. Folks, thanks for joining the show. You can hear me every Saturday afternoon, 6 o'clock Eastern Time, and so on and so forth on American Family Radio. God bless you all. God bless your families. Hope you tune in again next week.